0: well if you give
1: a party don't lock the door. turn out all the lights cause if you don't let my boys inside it's going to be a fight well start we started out this morning we're going to rack some heads some names
2: though that's to call the heat and now we're laying well if you give a party
1: don't lock the door. turn out all the lights cause if you don't let my boys inside it's going to
3: Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Crash in the Party. This is a very special episode because for the first hour, we have the amazing Don Folletti, uh, record collector extraordinaire and co-founder of Relic Records and the Relic Rack Record Store. I think that's easy to say. And uh, so he'll be on for the first hour, and then for the second hour, uh, Miriam and I will be doing our usual nonsense. So listen to Don, and then we'll be back in about an hour.
4: Greetings, you're listening to a new episode of Crashing the Party with Miriam and... Mark. Yes, today we're deep in the environs of parts unknown with the legendary Don Folletti of Relic Records and Collector Excellence. We're deep in the vaults with records going up to our... Eyeballs and Beyond.
5: And also CDs that nobody wants anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and stacks of gold mine, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, not discophile, discographies. Dis- or some,
3: discoveries.
5: Uh, that's it, yeah.
4: Okay, and we're, we're gazing upon all of this magnificence in here, and we're about to question the poor man about his origins in collecting doo-wop records, vocal group records, hillbilly records, and all of the crazy 45s and 78s that Don is known for uh, before he started, Relic Records, and uh, during and after. So let's go, Don. How did you start?
5: Okay, so I'll go back to my first ventures in collecting real fast, like probably many other guys my age. Um, I was an avid collector, first of bottle tops, and then baseball (laughs) cards, then comic books. And I had the excellent taste to buy the EC comics then, and Tales from the Crypt and all that, which naturally vanished when my mom went up in the attic and looked at the stuff and (laughs) tossed it out someday. Um, And... Actually, I began listening to records and the radio. Uh, I grew up in West Orange, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Newark, and it was blessed to be close to New York City, and also close to Newark, so that we had not only the major radio stations, and at that time we had, for example, the pop-type shows like uh, Listen to Lacey on Wins and Martin Block with the Make Believe Ballroom on WNEW, but also if you turned down, uh, turned the dial down to the other direction, you could pull in WWRL 1600 in New York, which was gospel and blues. And we had a wonderful R&B station from, I guess, 53, 54, they converted to a black format. I'd like to mention that um, also at the time, uh, my sister and I were ardent country fans, and we were able to hear country music in New York on Don Larkin's Hometown Frolic on 970 W A A T in Newark. Uh, he broadcast from the early 50s until probably around 1960, and. Um, We were big, big Hank Williams fans. We bought Hank's 45s, 78s, and when he died, what was it, January 1st? Was it 53? 53. Okay, right. I I went out and I bought uh, 78 of Jack Cardwell on King, the death of Hank Williams. Uh. And um, my love for country music... um, Has lasted until now, actually, too. And um, when faced with a choice of buying a doo wop record or a country or later, a couple years later, a rockabilly record, I often chose the country or the rockabilly. Um,
6: Thank you and good night.
5: So c- collecting started with 78s, w- which I was never really attached to, and I never uh, ac- really collected. And then we got a three-speed WebCore phonograph, I Ooh. guess, about 1954, 55. And then uh, I would buy exclusively on 45s. My father worked for the Prudential Insurance Company in Newark, and there was a newsstand right next to his building, and I asked him, implored him, starting in probably 1953, when I was 11, uh, to pay a quarter and bring me home the latest copies of Billboard, and sometimes he would be able to get cash box, but Cashbox was restricted at that time because they had the so-called confidential price list in for jukeboxes, so it was tougher to get. And, of course, I would look at it, and I would start to make lists, and one day in probably the late summer of 1956, I spied an ad for VJ Records in Billboard, and it said in small print, Get on our mailing list. Uh. So <laughs> I, I, I took a penny or two-cent postcard, and I wrote in pencil, Please put me on your mailing list. I saw your ad in Billboard for whatever date it was. Thank you. D. N. Faletti. I thought that sounded you know, f- professional. Official, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, adult. Uh, one Belgrade, West Orange, New Jersey. And I didn't think about it, and then about two or three months later, I got a package in the mail from VJ, and I opened it, and there were brand new DJ copies of, let's see, Dimples by john lee hooker oh what a (laughs) night by the dells (laughs) i think uh, yeah one of the magnificence records what was it Uh, basically 207 208 209 210 something like that and i looked and i said
3: and and they're and they're white labels
5: they were white labels yeah with uh, wow but they were those lousy uh Fill vinyl VJ pressings, and then they had the check marks on them. And then there was promotional material inside all of them, which I kept until 1972 when my parents moved to California and I threw it all out. And so, anyway, that started my uh, adventures in (laughs) getting free records by hook and by crook over the years.
7: Someone come knocking at my back door Somewhere alone about midnight Someone come knocking at my back door Somewhere alone about midnight I wonder, yes, I wonder, yes I really, really wonder Who could that someone be? Somewhere alone about 1144 I saw someone knocking at my back door Hurried to the kitchen to look what I could see Behind the little sleep I had a barely good seat Someone come knocking at my back door Just like they did before She was a boxy little mama with great big hips Pretty long hair, pretty red lips Five feet two with eyes of blue she knew exactly what to do She went bam, 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 and a boom boom,
8: boom, boom knocking at my back door
0: This cat is wrong I had a ringside seat yeah. She had gray figures and funny little feet She's 62, dressed dot blue And she looked like something from the Brookville Zoo Bam, 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 and boom a boom, boom, boom Knockin' at my back door
9: He's running wild, trying to smile, but she fell out in a little while. With bam, 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 and then I'm boom, 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 knocking at my back door.
5: So
3: they could uh, they continued to send you Dj copies of their of their releases.
5: What happened is that uh, they made what at that time they called an addressograph plate with my name on it, and I would get probably for the next two or three years, copies not of all their releases. I mean, some of them, you know, are like not maybe not that good, but very, very uh, rare because they were locally released just in the Chicago area. But listen, after I got VJ, then I thought, well, wh- let's try chess and <laughs> let's try... <laughs> other labels and soon the records kept pouring in that's and, incredible uh, I think Chess's first package was you can't catch me Chuck Berry seesaw <laughs> the Moon moonglows uh, <laughs> so they thought uh, you were a DJ or what well t- uh, I didn't say anything at the time you
4: were uh, D-N uh, the uh, lady.
5: Yeah, exactly and that developed into um, a more skilled scam where <laughs> Where <laughs> <laughs> my father had his secretary type letters, and what I would say then it looked very professionally typed, and I would say uh, uh, I have as I have not received oh let's say. Um, Oh, Ronnie Pearson's Teenage Fancy, I would appreciate a sample. I will be glad to play and exploit it in this area. And then I added, (laughs) (laughs) what did I add? Uh, I am negotiating for additional shows, and in parentheses I put... W-M-T-R, Current. Now, that was basically a pop station in Morristown, New Jersey. Well, that was fine, and about two years later, on a summer night... Um, a sedan, late model sedan, stopped in front of our house, and a nice-looking middle-aged man walked up the stairs, knocked on the door, and he was Mr. Croy, Kenneth Croy, I believe, and he was the general manager and part owner of WMTR. Whoops. And,
4: uh, <laughs> he wanted to meet the uh,
5: Well, it, it, he was not happy, but he was very diplomatic, but my parents were uh, because they were extremely honest and moral people. And my father had, of course, a part in this, and I promised never to do it again. Well, okay, <laughs> okay. the inquisitive, <laughs> <Next> uh, <day. laughs> obsessive mind of Don filetti would not rest at that point, in Billboard, they advertised in one section for, I think it was $3, you could get 100 sheets of st- custom stationery and envelopes from a guy in Kentucky.
2: Okay. So <laughs> is that
5: was the beginning of West Orange Broadcasting Company. <laughs> And then in parentheses on that, W-O-M-A, the call letters supposedly, and if anybody asked me, I would say, well, that's West Orange Music Association, okay? (laughs) And that further expanded my horizons. Uh, I was academically talented. I don't know whether that was good or that was first in my class until Algebra II and Trig came along. And then... Every Monday, I would come home, and at that time, I, I, I subscribed to both Billboard and Cashbox. So I would open them, and that started. I have right here. Don's got
4: a gigantic stack of notebooks. Mark, you were looking for your notebooks. I think Don's got, uh, got <laughs> well, the same my, thing. My over father here. would
5: bring me these things that were called uh, Tumblr notebooks, green steno pads. And in them, I laboriously, when I was in high school, this says, for example, and you can see what an obsessive I was, record address information, A, Ace of Rose, Abbott, uh, Aladdin, Ace, Accent, Aladdin. (laughs) What I was doing here is every package that I would get from the record company I would keep the envelope, which again I kept until 1972, and I would write down the address. So, uh, fortunately, one of the labels that I got on the mailing list fast was ABC Paramount. So, every week I would get new releases. I mean, at that time, you know, they had the uh, Paul Anka, and they had some of the, the Danny and the Juniors, and all of that. Um, But for some reason, and it's a quirk of mine, I was more interested in the odd little labels. Um, Columbia, RCA, DECA, there was no romance even to my 12 and 13-year-old eyesight or ears in those labels. So I was interested in a label that might um, put out two or three records um, in 1956 or 57, and I would write to them, and hopefully I would get a package back. And to this day, I think I've kept all the samples um, that I received over those years. Where are they? Uh, currently, the... Th- 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 th-
3: <laughs> we, we uh, wouldn't have to broadcast this this no, is just for my own edification no, on that
5: wall straight ahead no uh let's see so what happened is in the 70s and 80s um after gossert revived interest in record collecting and the gold mine came out and there was a viable kind of collector resale um I started. I lived in the city at the time. I lived in in the village, and in the summertime, in the '70s, of course, it was not really a cool place to live. Uh, so I would hit the road, and I really traveled to every state looking for records and. Eddie and I owned the record store until 78, too, and we acquired a lot of wholesale lots. So I accumulated thousands of records. I was living in a studio apartment in the village, and I stored them in 200 count uh, record storage boxes, hoping someday that I would set them up on shelves. Well, they're still in 200 count storage boxes.
4: <laughs> There's hundreds of these things uh, uh, directly across from us. Uh, I think we could build a fort and stay in there for the winter.
5: I was collecting. I was doing my little West Orange Broadcasting Company kind of scam, and I was very interested in the owners of labels. At the time, for example... The names High Weiss, Morty Kraft, uh, Joe Davis, Sid Nathan, Leo Messner, uh, they were magic to me because I could just imagine working with these groups and artists and uh, recording and selling and having the records. Uh, Later, I found out that I was not temperamentally suited to be the uh, uh, air of these men um, when I got to know most of them or some of them uh, they were much more interested in things like the results of Belmont or the <laughs> horse races uh, they were talking about hookers, they were talking about uh, it, 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 it turned out that there were a few of them. I think George Goldner was one. Al Silver of Herald, who we got to know well, was another who had maybe a genuine understanding of the music. But to the others, it was money. And it was, they were also street level, kind of crass in a way that I wasn't. And I never could adapt myself for that. Um, but anyway. In the da, 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 late summer, early fall of 1959, I tuned into WHOM, which was a part time Spanish station, I believe. Um, and Alan Frederick's Night Train uh, started a, a kind of liaison with the Times Square record shop, which had opened a few months before in the spring of 1959 in the Subway Arcade of 42nd Street and Broadway 7th Avenue. Um, And when I first went into Times, I guess maybe uh, a month later, it was a Sunday afternoon, um, I remember Slim coming down the stairs to open up and there were probably 50 all guys in black leather jackets waiting to get in the store. And then inside the store, of course, on the wall, I saw records that I had never heard of before. I mean, I had didn't know anything about the grand label, Louis Silvani's favorite favorite Mm -hmm. label, Um, the Charmers on Timely, the um, uh, Central Records, The Beating of My Heart, uh, of course, his favorite, the Chance Records by the Moonglows and Flamingos. And it was another world. um, uh, And I guess I at that time there was no mcdonald's i, I my father would uh, have me weed the garden and pay me 50 cents an hour so i had a little money maybe five bucks to 10 bucks to buy some records they were a dollar a piece then um and i guess maybe the third or fourth time i went into times um Slim had this credit system where if you brought in a copy of, let's say, uh, a Moonglow's record on Chance, Secret Love, he would give you $6 in credit. So (laughs) I had been listening to WNJR in Newark. And I heard commercials for a record store in Plainfield, New Jersey, called Brooks Records. And I called them up and my question was, I was very formal then, um, do you have a backstock? Do you keep a backstock of old rhythm and blues records? And they said, yes. So, when I got my license, I was 17 in 1959, I drove down to Plainfield and (laughs) uh, walked in and there was a wall of records and Mr. and Mrs. Brooks, who were these uh, very, very nice black entrepreneurs who wore a suit and tie and a very nice dress to work every day. And they were down by the railroad tracks on Watchung Avenue in Plainfield, and sure enough, they pulled out. Oh, I guess what there were maybe three or four copies of *Marcella* by the Castells on. Let's Oops, say he
4: fell off his check.
5: A couple, yes, I did. A couple red plastic mint flamingos. That's my desire. Oh, my! And then God. they had a, a nice Tony, my darling, by the charmers. After hours, Dollface, the vibrinaires.
6: You're killing so me, You're Maybe just the, killing so me. So
5: those were 89 cents. Oh, and my God. um, I continued maybe two uh, over maybe every two weeks. I would come into the city, which was very easy then. I'd either drive in or take the bus in. And I'd go down and I'd present the records. And as I kept bringing in records, um, Mr. Jerry Green, who was behind the counter, got more and more irritated because (laughs) (laughs) Jerry, apparently, they had been all over New Jersey. They had a a fantastic find of every possible rare record that you could find, a, a group record at that time at a place called Roxy's in Camden. And when I... I was this kind of skinny kid, tall kid from the suburbs, and I was not used to the hectoring with of the Brooklyn and Bronx guys behind the counter. Like, where'd you get that? Where'd you find that? Come on, you can tell me. Um, what city? What, what? What? What's the first letter of the name of the city? So when I wouldn't do it. When I would buy, like, okay, I didn't have some standards, but most of all by the Moonglows, Jerry would pick the worst copy from the box, and he would show it to me, and then I would reject it. And he'd say, well, what's wrong with that? It plays. (laughs) And, of course, it was VG minus, and probably had labels all over it and everything like that, and I wasn't good at fighting back. So, uh, uh, finally... Uh, I guess in the late, maybe around this time, December of 59, I had a kind of black overcoat. And I walked in and in one pocket I had, that's my desire on red, Tony, my darling, and doll face. And I pulled them out as I was leaving the store. And, of course, they wouldn't let me leave the store. Like, <laughs> initially, the offer was $10 for the three of them. And I thought, well, that's much too low. So finally, I accepted $12 cash. Oh, and no. then Slim r- turned around and Harold had Harold do sleeves and he put two of them up for 15 and I guess the that's my desire went up for 20 and I thought hey, right in front of me doing something like that? (laughs) Well, well, guess what? They never got any good records for my collection again. I I still don't have them. (laughs) But I thought, and then I heard, I guess another time, I was writing a lot of records down from the wall and Slim was making his usual nasty comments. And then he said something about, uh, I don't like buying from customers. Uh, So... Again, I had my West Orange Broadcasting Company persona (laughs) and Slim at that time, as the reputation of the store grew, he was looking to reissue uh, a lot of doo-wop records from the mid and late 50s. He had already, possibly with the aid of Jerry Green, Al Traumers, Jarrett Weinstein, um, contacted Fortune. In Detroit. Ah, okay. And uh, really, none of us, n- nobody I knew remembered The Wind, but The Wind probably became the best-selling 45 in the history of the store. I think he sold several thousand. Oh, my goodness. And at that time, you know, uh, Jack and Devorah Brown, as every Fortune fan knows, were kind of quirky people, but they liked <laughs> money and uh, they established they had a good rapport with Slim. Um, they instantly repressed, uh, a lot of titles for him. Uh, they had sometimes the same labels and stampers and it, it, all of a sudden Nolan Strong and the Diablos who, when I was growing up, nobody had ever heard of them really. I don't remember any of the records being played. Um, but they became favorites at Times Square Records. When, I had knowledge of who owned labels, and at the time, I was interested in possibly um, repressing or getting certain records that Slim wanted reissued. Uh, The only thing is is that I didn't have any money. (laughs) And my very good friend from high school, Wayne Sturley, Had uh, from birthdays, I guess he had maybe 200 or 300 in the bank. So I suggested to Wayne, well, why don't we have like a partnership? And so I have a sheet in front of me that my father at the Prudential mimeographed called General Record Distributors, Rock and Roll Hits. It's dated August 1960 and it has my address 1 belgrade west orange new jersey and it says call redwood 15581 day or night which my mother of course loved
2: (laughs) (laughs) and
10: i have
5: 50 cents per record now at the time and i could go into stories on all of these but the first one there was a lot of calls for it and it was a record that wayne and i loved and it's a new york classic which we can play but it was my heart's desire by the wheels on premium yeah
3: i I love that record
4: yeah let's listen to that
3: okay
11: Do-do-do-do-do- I climb the highest mountain, swim the deepest sea, just to hear you say dear, that you belong to me. Single bound just to see you smart in here and to never frown. For Just to hear you say, dear, that I'm your
5: So, uh, my heart's desire originally came out, and I believe in 1956, and was kind of a local hit. It was the premium label was owned by a guy named Joe Liebowitz, who had been involved in Regal Records out of uh, Linden, the R&B label from the 40s, and he had died, I guess, in '59 or '60. So when I contacted, he was still at 4 Yale Terrace in Linden, (laughs) and uh, the number was right in information. So when I called his wife, she said, well, we gave everything to Saul Weinstein in Boston. And Saul Weinstein was a distributor who was distributing also Rainbow, and he had a company called Transdisk. So I called him, and... He made me buy a thousand copies of My Heart's Desire uh, at 35 cents each. Okay. okay, and I think Wayne still has some of those original thousand. So, uh, probably two months later, a big giant um, Yale transport truck rolled up in front of my house and unloaded 10 1, hundred boxes of My Heart's Desire. Gosh. And the good thing about oh. it is is that they still had, I believe it was pressed by Clarion in Philadelphia, so they still had the original labels and the original stampers. So consequently Slim liked that because he wanted on any reissues to have the record look as original as possible. So we sold him originally probably 100 or 200. And then um, in the next few months, stores all around the New York area were influenced by Alan Frederick's Night Train. And there was a market, a small market for these records. So... um, Between the end of 59 and 1960, um, Wayne and I had then established contact with Johnson Records. It was a a guy named Hiram Johnson um, and the person, a record promoter by the name of Jim McCarthy. And we had them repress Come On Baby by the Cordovans, which is a New York Kitty classic, and another one that I'd like to hear, which is a New York classic, and actually was probably my biggest contribution to the actual record business. <laughs> and it went down after that, and that was Baby Oh Baby by the Shells, which when it was reissued, some months later, was picked up by Alan Freed after he went to KDAY in L.A., and the only reason why he played it is that he was the publisher originally. They had given it to him in figure music, and he, that was his partnership with Jack Hook, who was his manager at some point, so he started to play it. Um, I don't remember the exact date, but it was later in 1960, and it became a national hit.
4: Want to give it a spin?
5: Yes. Let's do that. (laughs) ¶¶ Oh, that's a kind of a quintessential New York record, I could say. I think it was a hit in Pittsburgh at the time, probably at no other place. Um, And Wayne and I would go up and we would go around to some of the small record companies. One was Atlas and Angletone. And we would buy their remaining stock for $0.35 or $0.30, and we would sell it to Slim for $0.50. I have in one of my Tumblr notebooks a chart of all these transactions, how much money I made. (laughs) (laughs) And it was barely enough, believe me, to cover the bus fare. Um, Then there's conflicting stories about this, and I wrote a long Set of liner notes for our Relic CD, but then we had another record, it was right here on the list um, Lama Rama Ding Dong by the Edsels on dub. And the that,
3: original the original title was
5: Lamarama. Right. Uh, that had come out originally, what was it, 57 or 58, and it was on a label from Arkansas owned right. by an appliance dealer by the name of Foster Johnson. So when I contacted him, he told me that he had more or less given away Uh, all the records and stock and all the master tapes to uh, a schlock dealer by the name of Sid Tabak, who would advertise in the back of Cashbox, you know, large quantities of records, 10 cents each. Um, And we contacted him, and Slim bought, I think, 50 or 100 to start, and it sold out almost immediately. And then in the summer of 1960, let's see, I started college in September of 1960. I put on a coat and tie, and I took the subway to Jamaica, Queens. Now, I had never been in Queens before. I had hardly been in Brooklyn, but there were two stores there called Triborough and Green Line. And when I went into Triborough, Irv, the sales, the guy that was handling the buying records, said that Alan Frederick's night train was responsible for more calls, uh, for more interest than anything that was on the radio at that time. So he went down my list and bought three of this, five of this, ten of this. Even though Slim wanted exclusives on these things. It was impossible when we had 1,000 copies of a record or 500 copies um, to keep it uh, just with Slim. I thought the 50 cents, which Slim never argued about most of the time, was a very fair price but then I wasn't used to haggling. (laughs) I'm not a good haggler. So Irv pulled out invoices from different distributors, and I guess they had given him deals, 43 cents, 45 cents. Um, And so we sold a bunch of records to Triborough and then to Benny Rubenstein at Greenline down on New York Avenue. Uh, They were both owned by a guy by the name of Jack Heller, And guess what? They didn't pay us until a lot later. Yeah, shocking,
3: shocking, (laughs)
5: shocking. It was the record business, you know. You're only good at what you have. Um, Then I'd like to mention that's uh, another. I had more chutzpah, I guess, in 1959. Certainly that I that I have (laughs) much more than I had in um, much later years. Because um, there were a couple records on the Acme label out of New York. Again, absolute new york classics the and, love letters right oh the love letters walking the streets alone yes. which had been played briefly uh, by alan freed an initial release in 1957 but the big one was a Kitty doo-wop richard lanham and the tempo tones on your radio
3: and the oh, yeah. third
5: was get yourself another fool by the tempo tones well at the time again i was ahead of my time maybe And Acme had no address, but um, I looked at the publishing company, and it said Beam, B-E-A-M, Music. So I called BMI, and I asked for index, and I asked for the address of Beam Music. So they said, well, it was on, I think, 414 West 44th Street apartment, such and such. So Wayne and I went over there, and we rang the bell, and there was no answer. (laughs) And uh, I guess I tried calling the number, and the number was disconnected. So I thought, well, why don't I make up these records myself using the original blue Acme label? So at that time, that had those, what they call certain kinds of lines, what is it, shadow print. And the shadow print was done by a label company in um, Brooklyn called Progressive. So I called up- Oh, Progressive was on J Street. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I called up Progressive and I said, you know, I would like to have these labels made uh, to reissue these. And they said, well, where's your authorization? So (laughs) it ended there. So I went to- I think it, I forget the original name. It went to a, a company called Co Service in Newark, and I think they were charging me fifteen dollars for a thousand labels. And then I went to Longwear uh, to get stampers made. And they wanted to know if I wanted the good metal stampers or just the strike-offs. And the (laughs) strike-offs were uh, good for maybe a couple hundred records. Right, right, They were, I think, $11 a set or $15 a set. Uh, Then we had to make acetates on these things. So I sent them to Beltone in New York, which later became the uh, was Les Cayenne studio. And I had gotten, I had had in the mail, mint copies of all three of those records from Acme. So I sent them with, with protective or uh, uh, cardboard to Belltone, and much later I got them back. And Belltone did not use cardboard for the mailing, and uh, no. many pieces. And oh, that's terrible. to this day, walking the streets alone. What is that about a fifteen hundred dollar record? I think if
3: you're, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs> that I never received. I, I, the other, the on your radio, was easy to get again. so, anyhow, I believe I pressed up. 300 records at Silver Park Records in River Edge, which was about a half an hour drive from my house in West Orange. And my good buddy from high school, Steve Levitt, drove me up then. And we picked up the records and we put them in the trunk of the car. And I brought them down into the basement. <laughs> and This list from August 1960 does not include those records on here because I was aware of possible problems. But I sold them to Slim and I sold them to other stores all over the New York area. And I guess maybe four or five months later, my mother got a call from Johnny Halanka of Alpha Distributing in New York, who was one of the major distributors of independent labels, and I knew at the time, uh oh, watch out! Now my mother was very good; she would say things like, "Oh, I don't know anything about it. Are you sure you have the right number?" <laughs> 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 and it, so, what what it was, um, and they were it was the Acme and the Record label was were owned by his brother-in-law a uh, who had died i guess in probably
12: 1959
7: eh now i hope on the street a hollow
12: hope
5: I started college uh, September 1960. Uh, uh, fortunately, I was I went to William and Mary, James Comey's alma mater in uh, uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, and um, there soon after the start of my freshman year. I began Tidewater Radio Productions, taped DJ shows covering the South. Well, the amount of records I was getting at West Orange Broadcasting Company paled to (laughs) Tidewater Radio Productions. Um, uh, Every week... Schwartz Brothers, which was the leading independent distributor in D.C., but serviced that area, would send me to my dorm room, but they didn't know it was a dorm room. I had a post office box, (laughs) 2122, Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, not even a zip code at that time, I would get a special delivery package. The mailman would come up, and it would have all the latest. They had every uh, Atlantic, they had Motown, they had Liberty, and they had a dealer list then that they would send me, and it had all these odd labels, too, from D.C. So naturally, I would request all of that, and... My downfall with them came when I got too greedy because I was still, I was very generous. And um, if I, if some of my friends would want copies of folk albums or jazz albums. And I think I sent a letter to fantasy requesting a copy of could it be a Vince Guaraldi album with Cast Your Fate to the Wind or something like that and I said I have not received it from Schwartz Brothers so (laughs) they forwarded it to Schwartz Brothers this was I think late then not by 1963 so that was the and then they wanted a tape of the shows and then I believe at some time in 1963 I got a call from our hall monitor to go and see the dean of the college, the men's dean at that time. Uh, it was coeducational. It was um, segregated, <laughs> as were uh, well anyway. That was Virginia and 1963. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so I went up, and a, uh, a promotion man. Al Charm, the Mercury promotion man for the uh, Tidewater, Virginia area in DC, had come down and wanted to visit Tidewater Radio Productions. Oh, no. And he went to the post <laughs> office and they told him, well, that's Cam 243, the dorm room. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I had explaining to do. And I, again, I said, and he, uh, Carson Barnes, the. Dean looked at me and he said, well, Mr. Folletti, you know, you had very high test scores, but your grades could be a little bit higher. Maybe you should pay more attention to academics. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will never do it again. Well, <laughs> at,
3: this <last laughs> but at this point, you've been getting away with it for, for 10 well, years.
5: Well, of course. And uh, it. I continued, but I was more careful. <laughs> I won't tell you the elaborate uh, ruse that I established. Uh, that continued, and then I graduated in, what, that was June of 1964, and the packages were forwarded up to me. I had a post office box in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, but at that time, I started to lose interest in trying to accumulate every 45 that was released that week.
3: It's greeting once again. And welcome to the second part of Crash in the Party. The first part of the show is an interview with the amazing Don Filetti, a record collector and co-founder of Relic Records. And now it's time for the second part of the show, which is me and... Miriam! Yay! So, you ready? I sure am. Let's go. All right. I'm going to
9: dub, I'm going to shout. you. to I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna shout. 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 I'm gonna jump, jump, am going jump. I really don't know what love is all about.
3: Derbies on Mercury and Night after night And they were from Buffalo Before that we heard What's the Matter Baby By the Madison Brothers On the Apt label And they were from Philly The Du Mauriers did All Night Long On Fury And we started the show With Earley and Harris With the Johnson Brothers And the Johnson Brothers Included Plaz Johnson The great tenor sax player And that was Jump and Shout And that was on Deluxe And Miriam Yes. It's your turn to play some records.
4: Okay, well, let's start out here with the Paramount's Take My Heart on Combo, and we'll take it from there. Take my
0: heart.
4: yeah there's some advice from the peanut gallery to poor billy Don uh, quartet singer there <laughs> yeah there was a lot going on there the beginning with the the guitar that sounded like there was a psychosis going on
3: like three different people were playing at it Three different times It was very strange <laughs> And
4: possibly At different speeds And different tunings It was excellent <laughs> And a lot of crying You know that's uh, The essential Portion Of the do Persuasion For some people Like you yeah, Like me Okay so that was The Billy Don Quartet On Firefly Crying for my baby We're counting backwards
3: And before that We had you, Wait I'm looking here According yes. to According to What I'm looking at that was originally re- released on Decatur.
4: I have the Decatur release in, as well.
3: In 1953.
4: You want to play it on that too?
3: No. Really? You so have a 45 that? or a 78?
4: Oh, I have a 45 on Decatur. Really? Okay. Maybe it's a fan club release. Could be. Mm. Don't know.
3: Yeah. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
4: Of course you didn't. No, I didn't. Never. I would never do that. Of course not. Never. All right. Before that, we had the V-Notes. Got a baby like mine. On Volk out of Dallas, uh, that's the flip of Smashed.
3: Did it have anything to do with uh, Phil Volk from uh, Paul, Paul Rubier and the Raiders? No. <laughs> Are you sure?
4: I think you like to call that kind of a thing a stretch. <laughs> All right. Just so, asking. just asking. Okay. Before that, we had the probably the most tough to find record of the night. And that is the Elvirios, the most beautiful first kiss. Very naive, raw, primitive kind of sounding record, but so fantastic. Can I see that? On Ravello, Louisville, Kentucky. That's a tough to get record. So whatever you're looking for, look for it on the Ravello label. First kiss. Yeah, beautiful. Before that, favorite, fan favorite, the fabulous Pearl Divines. You've been gone. On Alco out of Babylon, New York We're really going all cross country on this excursion here
3: Babylon and on
4: What do you think of those fabulous Pearl Devines? I've loved
3: that record, I've always loved that record It's terrific Always? Always Good. Since I was a wee lad
4: <laughs> Alright, well you can stay then, alright? And we started with the Paramount's uh, Take My Heart on Combo That's a great record, it's pretty raw and crude And I saw some people here in our own peanut gallery possibly looking like they were possibly cringing a little bit at that guitar solo
3: I wasn't cringing I was s- straining to hear really? yeah Ooh. I guess
4: alright <laughs> <laughs> okay well in that case let's go let's go Paramounts we'll be hearing more from them it's not the New York Paramounts this is a different Paramounts on Comba alright now we're going to be taking off to parts unknown with Sir Mark we
3: are going across the sea The Jets on Rainbow And Drag It Home Baby Drag what home? It (laughs) Fill in the blank Wherever you'd like Okay And that was of course The only record they ever made The Swallows did the Don Gibson Country hit Oh Lone to Me Which of course was also done By Neil Young And a million other people The Ladders gave us My Love is Gone On Vest Fabulous And they were from New York City From 1958 And that set began with Ernie and the Halos, the girl from across the sea, Angel Marie. I love that record. And that was on Gaiden from 1962. Guess what?
4: No relation to the other Halos?
3: Not that I know of, but Uh, guess what? Guess what what? It's your turn.
4: Yeah, finally. All right. So let's take off with something super duper. Let's go.
2: Rock and roll, rock and roll. Just take some cougar by the hand and try your best to learn it. Harder, harder, cold, cold.
9: So what's the king of rock and roll? (laughs)
11: Rooster.
1: With a wish, it's just too tall for love, just too tall for love. Jesus so too tall, but too tall for long Well, I met one day by surprise, I put her right down to my side. She's just right for love, she's just right for love. Yes, yeah, she's just right for love till the day I die.
3: was kind of interesting <laughs> fantastic record that, that was the Warblers and um, they didn't release any records in their lifetime but they became the Griffins who recorded for Mer- Mercury and Wing and uh, they did a bunch of records for those two labels and then the Warbler stuff came out in the 70s they came out on Baron and then the uh, one, there were two on Baron and one on outhouse
4: yep she's too tall that's what it came out on on the outhouse records label yes this is a disc jock record (laughs) and it's not for sale so uh, we're thrilled to be able to bring that to you it's a fan club release what can you say and it's it's
3: the only way uh, you're gonna get that record because it doesn't exist anywhere else
4: yeah so good luck in, in, in searching <laughs> in your for that. future endeavors. <laughs> in your future endeavors.
3: All the best.
4: We have the legendary Mad Mike favorite on Amy, The Rooster, by Gabriel and the Angels. Yeah, that is something very fantastic, and we all know it from uh, the Pittsburgh popularity of it, and they brought it to the rest of the world. We're crazy about it. The Rooster! Before that, we had Frankie Preston and the Beachcombers. I want to do it. We always ask that question. Do what? Well... It. It. Yeah, that's where... That's what it is. Look, this is on the Magnum Records label, The Sound of the South. How far south? Jacksonville, 7, Florida. That's where...
3: That's pretty far south.
4: And before that, we started off with King of Rocking Roll by the Continental Five. Yes, and that's a Lil' Walter's band Not Little Walter Lil' Walter And it's on the Worship Worthy New Cat record label
3: love- Worship Worthy?
4: Yes, it's Worship Worthy Yes <laughs> We love New Cat Come on Alright, so we're going to go right on to some other spectacular sounds from you, Sir Mark Let's go!
0: shouldn't be allowed to matriculate because I know that the solution to my problem demands an irregular approach. I'm a lonely boy without a girl and deep in my heart I'm willing to wait even though I know that it takes time.
3: the admirations and the bells of rosarita that set was bookended by a couple of gus gossard favorites we started that set with the stars by the acapellos from 1966 and i my guess is that's one of the last real doo-wop records ever it was originally on the general label and then it was on checker and they were from orange new jersey and as good as that record is it's the only one they ever made and after the acapellas, we heard the Blenders and It Takes Time. And they were from New Orleans. And that was on AFO, which stood for All for One. The Teen Kings did Tell Me If You Know. And that was on the B Label, B-E-E. And they were from Reading, PA from 1959. And as I said, the Admirations did The Bells of Rosarita. And they were from Brooklyn. And that takes care of another episode of Crash and the Party with Mark and Miriam. And we'll be back next time with more of the best in do up and vocal group sounds. Until then. Goodbye, 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 goodbye,
8: goodbye, Ooh, goodbye. Amém e